guys, all right, good, good. Uh, my name is Brent Fugate, I'm the pastor here at Byfield Parish. If I hadn't had an opportunity to meet you yet, hopefully I will. Thank you all for worshiping here with us today. I know it's uh, super tempting, especially on a beautiful day like today, to, to, I don't know, go hiking, work in the garden, whatever the case may be. So thank you for choosing to be here worshiping with us. So back in February, on February 7th, 2021, Tom Brady and the New England, uh, no, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. It's kind of get, hard to get used to saying that. A few days later, on February 11th, the city of Tampa had a boat parade to celebrate the win. While the parade was happening, Tom Brady took the Super Bowl trophy and he threw it from the boat he was on across, it looked like maybe know, like 10 to 15 feet of open water to another boat where Rob Gronkowski caught it. It was clear that the beverages being served on the boat might have given Brady a little bit of liquid courage. Most people that saw this thought that it was a pretty humorous way to celebrate, but not everyone agreed. The daughter of the craftsman who had created the Super Bowl trophy thought that the toss was disrespectful. For her, the Super Bowl trophy is a sacred object. She demanded that Brady apologize. To his credit, Tom Brady did not apologize. He recognized that the trophy commemorates winning a championship in a game where grown men run full speed at each other and try to get a small, oddly shaped ball across a line for the entertainment of millions. Maybe we shouldn't take it so seriously. The Super Bowl trophy doesn't need to be treated as a sacred object. Or maybe that wasn't his logic. Maybe Brady's action were just the result of living in a world where very little is treated as sacred anymore. Or maybe after winning the Super Bowl seven times, the specialness has just sort of worn off a little bit. The Bible has some strong opinions on what should be treated as sacred and what should be treated as common. Oftentimes Christians forget what the Bible has to say on the subject of sacredness. We treat common things of this world as sacred and treat the things that belong to God as common. The Bible is pretty clear on what should be treated as sacred, yet we still find it surprising at times. Today we are going to look at one of the most sacred things Scripture highlights. Go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 16 through 23. You can use your personal Bible or the printed off verses in your bulletin if you prefer. Hear the word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 
chapter 3, verses 16 through 23. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all things are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Sacred things should be handled in specific ways ways. That is the way the world works. The Bible doesn't disagree that sacred things should be treated with care. It does disagree about what is sacred. Today's scripture points out that Christians are sacred. We are temples of God. This is not our own doing, but God. We can't take credit. So often, we fail to realize the full import of our sacred status. We live as if our lives were common. Jesus has made the existence of Christians sacred. We are to live our lives in a way that is consistent with the sacredness we have been blessed with by God. Individual Christians are temples of God. A temple is a physical location where a divine presence resides. Corinth had a multitude of temples. Every god that was worshipped had its own temple. Different cities in the Roman Empire favored different mental and physical healing. Hera, Argea, a goddess of marriage, and Tyche, a god of luck, all got a lot of attention. The city had long been visited by religious pilgrims coming to see the famous temple of Aphrodite on the mountain overlooking court. She was the goddess of love, beauty, and fertility and prostitutes considered her their patron. She was also the god of seafaring. There were other minor gods and goddesses as well. It was understood that the different temples were where the different gods lived. A temple was the home of a god or goddess. Each was set up in such a way that it would please the God who lived there. 
the variation in the temples was a reflection in the variation of God of the God's preferences for the people in Corinth temples were a sacred space they were a location that a person would go to if they wanted to experience a God the temple was where the God was normally what people wanted when they went to the temple though it wasn't really that they wanted the experience more specifically they wanted was a blessing of some sort when visiting whichever god there was an expectation that you act in a way that was in keeping with that god's preferences some gods wanted you to come in and make a sacrifice others preferred a feast a gift or some sexual act it was commonly understood that going against what the god wanted while you were in their house was disrespectful disrespecting a god was a dangerous thing to do an angry god wouldn't give you the blessing that you wanted them to do in fact if you made a god mad by going into their house and acting in ways that were not pleasing to them there's a good chance they would work to harm you the gods of the Greco-Roman world had a reputation for being capricious. Aphrodite was supposed to have started the Trojan War with a bribe so that she could win a beauty contest with two other goddesses. These are the gods that were worshipped. As Paul wrote this letter to the people of Corinth, he was aware of how the Christians there are used to thinking about temples and the gods that live there he challenges their notions of how people relate to the divine with a question he asks do you not know that you are god's temple and god's spirit dwells in you god does not live in temples made by human hands you don't need to go to a special place to interact with him he is not limited in this way if you were to do a spiritual scan of this building at just like 3 a.m on a weeknight god would not be here i mean he would be here in the sense that god is always around in any place in the world but he, he doesn't live here. At 3 a.m., God's presence is not in a building unless that building is the building that holds you. That's where God is. God dwells in Christians through his spirit. This changes everything about the way Christians should live. We do not go to God at a fixed time and place. Instead, he goes with believers wherever and whenever they go. A church building is important because it is where the temples of God, Christians, gather together. 
This gathering is incredibly important. The geographic location where it happens is not. The practical implications of individual people being God's temple are significant for each of us individually. Us being God's temple is an awe-inspiring truth. Last March, right before COVID hit, I know that seems like a lifetime ago, my wife, Anne, and I, we traveled to Barcelona, Spain. There are many wonderful things to see in Barcelona and the surrounding state of Catalan. I I highly recommend it. The most extraordinary thing we saw on that trip was the Sagrada Familia. The Sagrada Familia is this basilica that is hard to describe. It has been under construction since 1882. They are still actively working on completing the project. The outside has these massive facades that depict various stories from the Bible. When you go inside, it is incredibly light and airy. The supports that hold up the building look like trees that have been made out of stone. It is easy to give yourself a headache just looking at the ceiling, which is 45 meters, about half of a football field above your head. As amazing, as awesome as the Sagrada Familia is, that is not where God chooses to dwell. For God's temple is holy. And you are that temple, Paul says. This applies to Christians today just as it applied to Christians in Corinth. Every believer is a temple of the Almighty God. God's presence in Christians should impact how we live. When you walk into the Sagrada Familia, there's this sense that you are entering a sacred space. Even though it is this massive room with hundreds of people milling around, everyone inside speaks in hushed tones. The beauty and the specialness of it are overwhelming. There's a sense of holiness. We should have a greater awareness of who we are. As wonderful as the Sagrada Familia is, it is not where God chooses to dwell. God dwells in us. Just like the false gods the Corinthians were familiar with, God has expectations that his temple will be treated in a certain way. He has expectations of what actions are appropriate in his temple. When inappropriate things happen in believers, his temple, he is not pleased. Too often, Christians live in a state of self-deception. 
that blinds us to the life that we should be living. We assume credit for who we are. The privilege we enjoy of being a temple of God is not a product of our own efforts. Even the smartest person, the one who has experienced everything this world has to offer, cannot make themselves into a place that God can call home. Anyone who thinks they can or thinks they have is lying to themselves. To become a temple of God, the wisdom of this world which places certain people on a pedestal must be rejected. We have to recognize it for the folly it is. Trying to make ourselves into God's temple through the wisdom of this world is futile. The clearest indication that a person thinks who they are as a Christian is a product of their own efforts is how they look at others. Those who think that they are who they are because of themselves will look down on everyone else that doesn't measure up to their standard. It is reasonable to question how much those that do so actually understand Christianity at all. This is remedial material. Personal pride makes no sense for the person that knows the grace that has been shown to them by God. Most people who identify as Christians are aware of this. False humility is not an unfamiliar phenomenon in Christian circles. This is, if you ask non-Christians, this is a lot of them will say like, I'm not really interested in being a Christian. All those people, they act a certain way, but I can tell, right? We are who we are because of what God has done. It is not natural to us. Our sin limits us. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We are made of dust, and to dust we will return. Let no one boast in men. To do so would be ridiculous. It is not our own doing. Jesus makes it possible for God to dwell in us. When they would clean the temple in the Old Testament, they used blood. The priests would flick blood all around the vessels that men had created to worship God. The blood symbolized that people could not be in God's presence apart from sin, which leads to death being dealt with through the payment of life. Each of us, to be God's temple, we needed to be clean. Jesus cleaned us with his own blood. He gave his life so we could experience God's presence. This is an ongoing reality. As the temple of God, we need to be cleaned again and again and purified again and again. In addition, 
to the tendency to deceive ourselves about how we became God's temples, there's also a tendency to not fully embrace the truth that comes with being a Christian. Paul states that truth in the second part of verse 22 when he says, All things are yours. In the following verse, Paul clarifies slightly what he means by all things. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. Should we dissect this statement further? We could, I guess. But that would go against what Paul is clearly communicating. When Paul says, all things are yours, he means all things are yours. All truth is yours. Life is yours. The present is yours. The future is yours. Human beings inherently approach the world saying, mine, mine. We want to claim ownership. We see the world and we think there's not enough. There's not enough money or power or happiness or glory. Because there is a deficit in the world, everyone has to grab what they can if they want to have anything at all. We can bring this perspective into our faith. That is what the Corinthians were doing. They were trying to selfishly lay claim. Their underlying approach was flawed. There is no lack in God. He has given us all things. We don't have to fight and claw and strive. The most valuable thing he has given us is his presence. When we operate from God's perspective, we see we have everything we need for what really matters. When we operate from a deficit perspective, we lose out. God's abundance multiplies not when we hoard it, but when we give it away. We are Christ. And Christ is God. In a real way, the relationship we enjoy with Christ is on a similar footing as the relationship Christ enjoys with God. Or at least it can be. The limiting principle of a Christian's relationship with Christ is on our end. By holding on to the foolishness of this world, we inhibit the relationship we should have. The more our faith focuses on ourselves, the less satisfying it will be. Jesus is our source. He is our provision. What matters is not what we can claim for ourselves. Everything we might claim for ourselves is worthless. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about how many believers will be like people that barely escape from a house on fire. Everything we can claim for ourselves will turn to ash, whether it be possessions, knowledge, success, or anything else we might take personal pride in. 
What matters is that we belong to God through Christ. What belongs to God is secure. Whatever he gives us will withstand the test of time. God doesn't hold back with Jesus. Jesus won't hold back with us. If we can only see the full truth of what it means to be a Christian, there is so much more available to us than we settle for. We must stop looking to ourselves. True abundance comes from God through Christ. We can either work ourselves to the bone, cobbling together our own little hoard of temporary treasures and trinkets, or we can enjoy the abundance God has made available to us through grace. Every Christian is a sacred temple of God. This is not because of how awesome we are of what we have accomplished. The more we grasp hold of what this truth means, the more we will be able to understand the full message of Christianity. Christians, we so often focus on the starting point of what it means to be Christian. We have been saved by grace from depravity through faith. Amen to that. But that is not where we are supposed to hang out. That is not where we are supposed to live. That is the starting point for the Christian life. Not the finish line. What God has justified, he will also glorify. The fact that we are temples of the living God must change the way we live. We should not treat that which is sacred, ourselves, God's presence in our lives, as if we were a common thing of no value. God expects to live our lives in a way that is consistent with the sacredness he has imparted to us through his presence. Through Christ, God has given us all things. To grasp hold of those things, we must let go of the things of this world. There will come a future day when we will know the full majesty of God. Just as the Sagrada Familia is still being constructed after 140 years, God is still at work in our lives so that we can be the type of temple that befits his glorious presence. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you tell us in your word that you have given us all things. And we rejoice in that. And it's also unknown and overwhelming in so many ways. What, is, what does that mean? How do we live it? Lord? I pray that you would be with us, that you would be with us and help us to raise our eyes to what you have made possible for us and let go of the things of this world that keep us that keep our gaze focused downward. 
I pray that we would be inspired by what you have made possible for us, your presence, that we can be your temple. We thank you and we praise you. We recognize that on our own, we are incapable of rising above our station. We thank you that you've made it possible for us to be more than we can be on our own. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.